I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, the Gospel according to Matthew, the Evangelist, the last paragraph of chapter 11, verses 25 through 30 this morning. Last week we studied the first part of chapter 11, where John the Baptist sends Jesus the question, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Do you remember that from last week? Are you the one? How did Jesus answer that question? He basically said, yes, I'm the one. But he did it by pointing to the deeds of the Messiah, how he himself was fulfilling the job description, the messianic profile provided by the Old Testament. He said, tell John the Baptist this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf Here, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And then Jesus spent most of the rest of the chapter explaining how important it was to answer that question correctly. Is Jesus the one who is to come? Yes. If you answer yes, you'll be blessed. He said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me, on account of Jesus doing things differently than you might have expected, or in a different order than you might have expected. But if you ultimately answer no, he says you will experience woe. Not blessing, but cursing. Not delight, but danger. Not joy, but sorrow. Judgment. Woe. Jesus denounced those who had rejected him and predicted their judgment. And it's right after that that Jesus says what he says in today's passage. It flows right out of that. We may study it on its own, but it doesn't stand alone. In today's passage, Jesus basically stops to pray, but he prays out loud for all to hear. Definitely worth overhearing what he prays. And then Jesus makes an amazing assertion about his unique relationship with God. And then he offers a glorious and wonderful invitation. Come to me. Come to me. There's our hide the word verse. You wondered if we were ever going to get there, didn't you? I did too. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the invitation in this passage. But first we need to eavesdrop on Jesus' prayer. And before we do that, we need to pray ourselves. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we were singing this morning, I'm looking around at all the faces. And as I count my many blessings, I count these people right here. Look what God has done. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for everybody who's gathered this morning in the name of Jesus to worship Jesus and to hear from you and to follow you. Thank you for each one here. I pray for each one here that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church. Help us, Lord, to to overhear what Jesus prays, to understand who Jesus is, and to respond in faith to his invitation. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. So let's listen in to Jesus' prayer. You ever listen to when somebody prays? Yeah, we're saying yes, yes. Sometimes we're thinking our mind wanders. 
But often you can know somebody's theology by what they pray. What they believe is ultimately true by how they pray. Well, this is Jesus' theology. And it comes out in his prayer. Matthew has so helpfully recorded it for us so that we can listen in ourselves and hear what Jesus said to his Father. It's verse 25. You have it? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Jesus starts by praising God the Father, and he calls him Lord of heaven and earth. That's Lord of absolutely everything, isn't it? And that God, that Lord of absolutely everything, heaven and earth, is someone that Jesus calls Father. Isn't that amazing? How he puts those two things together? Lord of everything, heaven and earth, and he calls him Dad. That's amazing. Now, I mean, you and I have learned to call God Father too. Not the Godfather too. That didn't sound right. We've learned to call God Father as well. But we get that from Jesus. We're going to see that in verse 27. God would not be our Father if it were not for Jesus. But He has always been Jesus' Father and always will be. And now Jesus praises Him. Jesus lifts up His voice to praise God, the Lord of heaven and earth, for what? What does He thank Him for? What does He praise Him for? It might surprise you at first. Jesus praises God for hiding things. Did you catch that? Look again at verse 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, what are these things? When he says, I'm thankful that you have hidden these things, what what are these things? Well, it doesn't say directly. So you have to look at the context to determinant. I think it's simply the mysteries of the kingdom. It's everything that he teaches that unbelievers find so hard to believe. It's the blessings of belonging to the Messiah, the judgments of rejecting him, all of the inside scoop of being a follower of the Messiah. That's hidden from some and revealed to others. Whom? Our Lord says in his prayer that is hidden from the, quote, wise and learned. Unquote. I think that means the so-called wise and learned. This is the people who think they're wise and learned. They're sophisticated. They're smart. They've got the PhDs. Who's that in the context of Matthew's gospel? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, for one, right? They thought they were too smart to submit to Jesus, didn't they? They were wise to him. And these cities that Jesus was just pronouncing judgment upon, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they thought they were too wise and learned to be taken in by the claims of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus? Come on. The carpenter's son? We're not sure if Joseph is even his dad. I don't think so. No, they were too proud. They were too arrogant. They thought too highly of themselves. So they were left out in the cold. And Jesus praises God for that. Can you praise God for that? Let's not try to be more spiritual than Jesus. Jesus saw this hiddenness as God's wisdom at work. 
But it wasn't just hidden, was it? It was also revealed. To whom was it revealed? What's he say? Little children. He says, to little children, yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure, to reveal these things to infants. Now, I don't think he means just literal little children. There aren't any children in the story except those bratty children before who wouldn't play the games. I think this means the humble, those who are like little children, the trusting, the humble, the modest, those who did not think of themselves as the wise and learned of the world, those who didn't think too highly of themselves but thought rightly of themselves, those who are like little children. I've only got two main points of application this morning, and I want to make this one the first one. Become childlike. Become childlike. Humble yourself, in other words. Because that's the kind of person to whom the Father reveals the secrets of the kingdom. God the Father delights. He takes great pleasure in revealing the secrets of the kingdom to those who receive them like little infants. That's who becomes disciples. Those who humble themselves and are trusting, they have faith. Remember when Jesus pulled the little guy into the middle of the circle? You know, he brings a little kid and he brings him out in the middle. And everybody's looking at the little kid and he says, you got to be like this little guy or you won't see the kingdom. That's how it works. The proud and the sophisticated, the wise and the learned of this world do not get it. They just don't. And that's a judgment on them. The Father is withholding it from them. So to get this kingdom, you have to become like a child. Have you done that? Are you doing that? If you have, don't you just want to join Jesus in praising God? The little child says, thank you for including me. I'm so glad to be here. I need this and I can't earn it and I'm trusting in you to give it to me. Thank you for including me. Do you remember the first beatitude? Remember the beatitudes? Blessed are, blessed are. What's the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is thanking the Father for here. Thank you that the poor in spirit, who would have thought it, the poor in spirit, get the kingdom of heaven? If you don't, you won't. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be opposed by God. I don't want God as my opponent. See how Jesus thanks the Father for being the opponent of the proud. It's right for him to do that. It's good. But I don't want that to be me. And I don't want it to be you either. Become childlike. And praise him for just, just for being included. In verse 27, Jesus apparently stops praying and briefly teaches some amazing stuff about his relationship with the Father. Look at verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now to me, that almost sounds like it belongs in the Gospel of John. 
not the Gospel of Matthew. That's the kind of teaching that John picked up so much of, and Matthew tends more to hint at. But here it is in Matthew in all of its glory. Let's walk through verse 27 slowly. All things have been committed to me by my Father. Notice that. He doesn't say by our Father. Jesus says, my Father. He has a special relationship with God. Remember what happened to him at his baptism? I think Matthew reminds us of his baptism over and over again. Remember the voice from heaven? This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Jesus knows that. He heard that and He believes it. Jesus knows that the Father has handed Him, handed over to Him, all things. All things? All things. What does that remind you of? Reminds me of the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, where he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What is, what is the Father called in verse 25? The Lord of what? Heaven and earth, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. All things have been committed to me by my Father. Now this verse is supposed to blow your mind. When you read this verse, you're supposed to go, wow. And I think my job this morning is mainly just to point out how amazing it is. We aren't supposed to be able to wrap our minds around this, but as we try, our minds expand and grow. Listen to what Jesus says about his relationship with God. No one knows the Son except the Father. So there's this special relationship between the two. I think it's through the Spirit. He isn't mentioned, but I'm sure he's not excluded either. There's a special relationship between the Son and the Father. Nobody knows Jesus inside and out like the Father does. It's unparalleled intimacy, unparalleled exclusivity, direct and immediate knowledge. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. But, did you hear the last part? But, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Do you want to know God the Father? You you have to go through God the Son. You see why I said this sounds like the Gospel of John? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what? Except through me. In In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, he says, no one has ever seen God the Father, but God the one and only who's at the Father's side has made him known. Who's that? That's Jesus. Matthew tells us, verse 27, No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Do you know God the Father this morning? So many of you in this room do. Praise God that the Son has chosen to reveal the Father to you. Now this is only one side of the coin of choice in our salvation. Some people, some theologians, like to emphasize one side of the coin and they forget about the other side of the coin. Some people like to emphasize God's sovereignty in our salvation, like verse 27 does. Who chooses whether or not we are saved? Well, God does. But other people like to emphasize the other side of the coin, human responsibility. Is that in this passage as well? Of course it is. 
the pride of the wise and learned in verse 25, the responsibility of Korah and Bethsaida and Capernaum for what they freely chose when they rejected Jesus. They made unforced choices as well. Human responsibility. Some people like to emphasize human responsibility and they miss God's sovereignty. They miss verse 27. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. That's in there too. Both are true. Both are important. It might seem like a paradox, but it's, the, it's a paradox the Bible doesn't have any trouble holding both sides of. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Because the very next thing that Jesus does, after saying that He's been given all things, and that He chooses to whom He will reveal the Father, is to issue an invitation. Look at verse 28. Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Point number two of only two this morning. Come to Jesus. Now in pop culture, when we use the phrase, come to Jesus, we use it to describe a hard conversation where someone is being forced to make a difficult decision. That's not what's going on here. Yes, there is an all-important decision that must be made, But this is all invitation and not intimidation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Have you been thinking about this verse as you've been committing it to memory over the last several weeks? Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Jesus says. He doesn't say, come to Christianity. He doesn't say, come to an idea. He doesn't say, come to evangelicalism. He doesn't say, come to Christendom. He doesn't say, come to the church. Jesus says, come to me. This is all about Jesus. You hear all the personal pronouns in this, in this precious section We keep saying as we read the Gospel of Matthew, who does Jesus think he is? Well, verse 27 told us he thinks he's the Son of God and God the Son. That's who he thinks he is. And this person is holding out his hand for us to come to him personally. He knows what we're like, right? He he calls us weary and burdened. Why? Well, I think they were weary and burdened by the scribes and the Pharisees. By the, by the heavy burdens that the scribes and the Pharisees were putting on top of them. Do this, do this, do this, do this. They were trying to please other people and follow the law in such a way as to earn their salvation. That'll wear you out. You trying to do that? Laboring under the law, being weighted down by law-keeping? perfectionism. But they were also weary and burdened by the Romans, weren't they? They, These were oppressed people. They were pushed down. They had the crushing weight of the world on them. Life is hard, just as it is. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Jesus invites you to come to him. Not to some idea, but to Jesus himself. 
and He will give you rest. That's a glorious word. Rest. It's a word of blessing, isn't it? It's a word of peace. Where the striving ceases, where you don't have to impress anybody. Do you ever have a little kid who's just kind of all upset? You wrap your arms around him and you hold him tight until he goes, and it's over. Rest. The striving's over. Peace. When you get a taste of what the kingdom will be like, it will be the rest that was promised in the Old Testament and is promised again in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, there still exists a rest for the people of God. Rest from your enemies. That was one of the promises God made to David, right? If all your enemies would stop. Wouldn't it be great if all of your enemies would just stop right now? The world, the flesh, and the devil, and any other enemies you might have. If they would just give it a break. That's what he's talking about. I think we get a taste of that rest now when we come to Jesus. And we'll get the rest of the rest in full when we get the rest of the kingdom. I know I said rest there in a bunch of different ways. Let me say it again. We get a taste of that rest now, and we'll get the rest of the rest in full when we get the rest of the kingdom. And then we'll get it all from Jesus. That's why we talk about somebody who's entered into their rest. It doesn't mean there won't be activity in heaven. It doesn't mean even that there won't be any work. But it'll be restful work. It'll be peace everywhere you turn. It won't be a constant fight. And there'll be nobody to impress. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now look in verse 29 to see what it means to come to Jesus. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So there is a yoke, okay, there is a yoke, but it's not the yoke of the law. The rabbis used to tell people, submit to the yoke of the law, submit to the yoke of the law. You know what a yoke is, right? I've never used one, but I'm familiar with the picture, that great big kind of wooden deal that you put on one side of one oxen, you put on the other oxen, and then the two pull together, right? So it it is a kind of subjection. It does provide limitations. The oxen don't run off. They pull. And they work together. They go in the direction that the the yoke is pointed. It does put you in a harness. Jesus is saying, you've got to get in my harness. But think about whose yoke it is. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, it doesn't say this exactly, but the the picture I get is that Jesus is the oxen on the other side of the yoke, right? You know, you're on this side of the yoke, and he's on the other side of the yoke. It's his yoke. 
And, he, and the reason I say that is because it says, learn from me. We'll do this together. You walk with me. I'll show you. That word for learn is the same word that we get our word disciple from. This is a call to discipleship. He's inviting these people to be his disciples. Come to me. is isn't just come get saved. It's come follow me. That's what it means to get yoked up with Jesus, to walk with him, to learn how to walk this field with Jesus. And he's right there. You're in tandem with Jesus. Does that sound scary? No. If it sounds scary, you don't understand who Jesus is. That's why he says what he says in verse 29. For I am gentle and humble in heart. He's not going to be like racing ahead and pulling you along and you're flapping back behind. In the, in the yoke. You're not going to get crushed. He's gentle. He's humble in heart. You can trust me, he's saying. You can trust him. I think it's amazing that Jesus says that he is humble when he has just said that he and God the Father are one. That God the Father has entrusted everything to him. And he's humble? He is. Because he is. Everything has been entrusted to him. And look what he's doing with all that power. Look what he did in coming here. If you had all the power in all the world, what would you do with it? He came down here. Got born of a baby. A baby. Look what he did in going to the cross. That's humble in heart. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30 tells us why. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's like he's saying, come here and try it. Come here, put it on. See how it is. See how easy that is? That's not hard. Yeah, there is a yoke. It's a real yoke. But there's, there's just no burden here. It's light. So he's not throwing out the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, take on the Sermon on the Mount. He's not throwing out the parables. He's saying, believe all the parables. He's not throwing out the Great Commission. He's saying, get out there and do the Great Commission, but it's not hard. It's easy. There's a burden in following Jesus. You have to take up your cross and follow him. But you'll find that burden oh so light. I think the picture is that if you're yoked to Jesus, who do you think does all the heavy lifting? He does. Do you hear this invitation? You taking it personally? Because it's not just to everybody, it's to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for anybody and everybody who has not yet come to Jesus in this way, that they would. 
Because this is for everybody to do individually. It brings us together, but we can't do it for each other. Every single person must come to Jesus themselves and accept His invitation to take up His yoke, to learn from Him, and to find that that's not hard. It's not scary. It's so good. It's where the rest is. I pray for anybody here who's just striving They're trying so hard to impress you with what they're doing with their life. Good works, church, baptism, giving, being a good person. That's just going to wear them out. It's never going to be enough. You say, cease striving. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I pray for anybody here who's just burdened and weary from life, from their enemies, from how hard it is, that they would come to Jesus, get yoked up with Him, and find rest for their souls. Would you do that in someone's heart here right now? They turn away from their sin and trust in the Savior. They'd receive Jesus. Put all their faith in Him. Say, Jesus, I want your yoke. I understand it's it's easy. And your burden is light. I want to follow you. And for everyone who's done that, which is so many in this room, I pray that we would rejoice that we've been included, that that the Son has chosen to reveal the Father to us, that the Father has revealed the secrets of the kingdom to us, not because we're so great, but because we recognize we aren't. We're little kids, needy, trusting, humble. Thank you. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name.